You're listening to MeSearch. I'm Crystal. And my name is Dustin. We're two friends taking space. And making space. For other Filipinos to share their stories and insights. Join us as we talk to folks in the community to discover how they became trailblazers, business leaders, and bosses. Hey, Crystal. Hi. (laughs) (laughs) She's not here today. She's not here today. What is happening? As you can probably tell, folks, something's just a little bit different. Crystal is on vacation right now. So we've got a wonderful substitute, a friend of the podcast, Nino Lanera, who is standing in today to help me unpack our thoughts and takeaways from the interview that we have lined up today. So if you all don't remember, Nino Lanera is a former guest of the of the podcast. He was in our episode called when is it my time to shine? So make sure to check that out in the archives. And welcome, Nino Lanera. Hey, hello, it's hello, so everybody. to have you here. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to sub. Uh, Crystal, I hope you're having a great vacation. Um, but uh, I appreciate you guys having me on a sub. I'm excited to talk. And what I love about this podcast is that it almost feels like a terrace house mm-hmm. situation, kind of like on Netflix. Because it's a show within a show, like a, a show-ception, a podcast-ception, a podcast within a podcast, because we are sharing commentary and feedback about the podcast interview that we air. And it'll be interesting to do that without Crystal today, because I'm just so used to having her perspective. Um, but for everybody listening, we will get to hear Crystal's voice in um, the playback of the interview that we listened to today. Uh, But before we do that, I want to give our audience another opportunity to get to know you a little bit better, Nino. So can you give us a rundown of who you are? Yes. Hey, everyone. So I am Nino. I was on the podcast just a couple of uh, episodes ago. Thank you guys for having me once again. I am an entertainment journalist, and I'm currently working on projects like Mixed News on Mixed Global, which you can catch every Friday um, on all social medias and also on the Mixed Global channel on satellite, on cable, uh, all that good stuff. And I also have a show called Community on the Kumu app. Uh, which is an app that basically unites Filipinos all across the globe. And I was lucky enough to have the MeSearch podcast on. Um, it's not recorded. It was just a live thing because it's a live stream. So unfortunately, I can't plug in. You could watch it here. But I'll definitely have Dustin back on later on uh, because he's been teaching me how to sing. He's been giving yes. me some vocal lessons. So if you want to... You've been, doing so, you've been doing so good, by the way. I appreciate you. And so yeah. if you want to you know, see Dustin live in action, uh, download the Kumu app uh, and follow me at Nino Lanera. And uh, you know, once in a while, you might see Dustin pop up and give me, uh, you know, give the boy some vocal lessons here. Yes. I'm all about <laughs> seeing your growth. Yes. Shout out to growth. And once again, so happy that you're here doing this with me. Um, I'm really excited. And um, yes. so in today's episode, we meet Jason Tannemore. Jason does many things. He's worked in finance. He's been a comedian, a journalist, and most recently, he's authored a novel that re-envisions Filipino folklore in the landscape of the United States. His book, Vampires of Portlandia, tells us the story of Percival and his Filipino family of Aswangs who immigrate to Portland, Oregon. We'll get to hear more about his book and how writing has played a huge role in Jason's unconventional career path. Let's get started with this episode! Let's go! Yes! Welcome, Jason Tannemore. We're excited to have you here at MeSearch. Yeah, thank you so much again for being here. Before we begin, can you please paint us a picture of where you are at in this moment, mentally, physically, give us a sense of what's going on in your space? Yeah, so, you know, my my wife and I both work for the federal government, so we've been very grateful to be able to work from home. 
And it's weird because a lot of my friends, I have a lot of uh, writer friends or just artsy friends and even ones that aren't artsy or creative at all, who are just down on their luck because of COVID or layoffs or unemployment or whatever. Um, 2020 really was one of the best years my wife and I had um, both on a physical and mental standpoint. I mean, outside of not really seeing a lot of people and just me being extroverted, I tend to be more social. Um, aside from that, you know, we both got promoted. Um, you know, I had a new book come out. We both lost weight. Uh, my son got married. Um, so all of these things, are, you know, when, when you're really kind of peeling that COVID layer off, it looks like I had a great year and the, and the do it over a pandemic when a lot of people are struggling or lost everything, you know, small business or whatever. I really just feel like a douche talking about it sometimes because it's, I don't want it to come across as bragging, even though it's, it's, it was a big deal for me. A lot of these things were big deal for me. And I, so I, you know, it's, it's that kind of tiptoeing around uh, people and, and, and feelings of, of how you approach different things. But outside of that, I can't, ask for anything better than the year that we've had. And, and my wife and I's relationship, you know, became stronger. We're, we, we talk more when we're, when we go out for walks and, you know, we exercise together and something we just never really did because our schedules conflicted or we went downtown, but to different buildings or, or whatever. And so it really just made us a better couple and stronger couple. Uh, you know, that's a bad situation overall. We really just took advantage of it. Well, I must say, it's really nice to know that somebody in our community experienced some success, even in such yeah. a crappy year. So props to you. I'm, I'm very happy to, to hear that you and your wife are doing well. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. Joy, joyful moments here. Yeah. yeah. Celebrate joyful moments. Joyful celebrate moments. joyful yeah. moments. <laughs> we'll, right. we'll, we'll celebrate your wins with you. Yeah. Hell yeah. 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 <laughs> so, Jason, um, it's very exciting to be speaking to a critically acclaimed author. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about your work as a writer and author? And can you share with us a little bit about your publications? Sure, sure. So, you know, like a lot of Filipinos, especially with, uh, uh, you know, my mother's half Chinese, half Filipino, and my dad's Filipino. Mm-hmm. And like a lot of uh, kids born into that type of environment where they're immigrant parents come to the States. I didn't even know that being an author or creative person was possible. I I didn't even know that was a job. Um, I have a degree in accounting and I really didn't know what I wanted to do. My mother uh, is an accountant. She retired from the department of army and I just didn't know what I wanted to do. And she said, well, just go into take some accounting classes. So I took accounting classes You know, I didn't really want to just a business major. And I found it relatively something that I not only really enjoyed, but I found I didn't really find too difficult. It was interesting enough to keep me going, but wasn't too difficult where I just quit. So one of the things, the deal I made with my mom was uh, she said, just go to school, just graduate, and then you can do whatever you want. You have something to fall back on. So that was the agreement that we had. So when I graduated from college, I went to a public accounting firm and was a public accountant for about a year. And it drove me nuts in the midst of tax season. It was just stressful and I just hated it. And so I remember calling my mom on December 14th, 1999. And I remember this because my son's birthday is December 14th and he would have been five years old. And I called my mom and I said, hey, I I think I'm going to leave my accounting firm. And she said, oh, yeah, did you get another job? I said, no, I think I'm going to go into stand up. What? Yeah. what? Awesome. Like, that was like that was like a legit response, and I, you know, it was took. I just remember her being disappointed. It was just that, you know, and I just remember saying, you know, I have this to fall back on. I, I'm single. I didn't have, you know, I'm not with the, my son's mom. It was just one of those things, and so I was single, and I'm like, I just, I just want to do this. So I started doing open mics and I just started meeting these other comics that were just doing open mics, whatever. And I loved it. However, I didn't love doing the same 30 jokes over and over again. And I hated driving because where I grew up and where I came from in on the border of Iowa and Illinois, 
the closest thing to me was Chicago and that was still three hours away. Mm-hmm. So I didn't want to just keep driving to three hours here to four hours this way, just to tell the same 15 to 20 minutes of jokes. But I love that experience. I love talking to people. I love making people laugh. I just love doing that. Well, during an open mic in my hometown, the uh, one of the editors from the new local newspaper at the time came down just to do a story on the, you know, the local standup acts. So I met the, I started talking to the guy and we just kind of struck up a conversation and, and um, just kind of became friendly. Well, one day he emailed me and he said, Hey, uh, do you want to write for the paper? And I said, well, as long as it's not like, Oh, bits or, you know, something just terribly boring. He said, no, I'm actually looking for someone to cover the standup comedy and music beat. I said, yeah, let me do it. So I started doing that on the side and I, I covered every single comic that came through and I started to just get to know all these comics and their managers. And from there, I started writing for more niche. And this is back in, this is before Facebook and Google, you're talking like 2000, you know, 2001. And so they were very just niche uh, little web zines online. And then uh, I started just gaining all these uh, or these kind of comics and music musicians. And what I came to realize was a lot of the managers for, from both comics and music represented, you know, sometimes 20 different people. So I'm like, Oh my God, I got all access to all these people. So when I was with the paper, I was really limited to just local acts because it's just their benefit. And a lot of, you know, where I came from, a lot of big names didn't really come. So the band Godsmack was coming to our arena and I was like, oh, I'm going to check them out. So I, I, I emailed uh, uh, the guy, the publicist, and uh, he's like, um, what's this for? I said, um, well, it's, it's for this publication. I like totally made it up on the spot. And I called it Zoics. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like well, it's like, like Scooby-Doo, but without the end, because, you know, copyright, whatever. But at the time, before, you know, before Google, before anything like that, it's like, you got onto this list on like Yahoo or Alta Vista and it was from alphabetical. So I said, well, so, you know, something that I could find me, it was a Z. So I just created this Zoics on online on uh, blogger and it's still up. And uh, he's, and I said, I'm going to do it for this online uh, music and standup magazine I just created. And he was just like, yeah, that's fine. And so he did an interview with him. He caught me two tickets and I'm like, this is freaking awesome. And so I just started using that and my newspaper gigs to kind of side by side these these entertainment acts. And then as I got bigger and bigger around 2004, when Facebook came out and Google came out and all these, you know, my name was kind of just I feel like I was like kind of recognizable back then. Um, People started finding me like Comedy Central found me. you know, MTV, all these people. And then I started writing for Yahoo. And then like with Yahoo be behind my name, then it became like, I'm going to interview Billy Corgan. I'm going to interview uh, Red Hot Chili Peppers. I'm going to interview Dane Cook. And it just became this monster thing. And so I love doing it. I mean, it's exactly what you guys are doing, but, you know, but on paper, you know, like literally just like on the phone and typing as fast as I can. But it was so much work going into it, as you two know. And so, but like, I really just wanted to write novels and I didn't really know that I could do that. And so I started just dabbling with novels and I took an online writing class with Chuck Palahniuk who write Fight Club. And like at the end of each lesson, there's like 30 lessons and essays, you know, and homework that we would do. And I started writing these stories and I, and they all had a common thread and it actually became a novel called a anonymous that I wrote that Publishers Weekly gave a start review for. And I was like, it's just like all these things just happen at the right time. And so I was doing Zoics, I was doing Yahoo, I was um, writing novels and then, and then I met my wife and then we got married and then I started working full time. And then it just got to that point where I'm like, I can't do all this. Mm-hmm. And so I, and I, it would have been so easy to just give up writing novels because it's so much discipline and time consuming with little bang, really little buck. And I could have, I could have got any interview at that time. I was just, you know, I covered president Obama. It was just like, I'm like five feet away from this guy. And so, but I really just wanted to write novels and I don't know why, I don't know what that fascination was. I don't know if it's just that, that prestige that goes along with it. Like, you know, cause it was just a, a personal challenge for me to write 
books. And now that's what I do and work full time. So I love it. And it's, you know, I get to do cool things and uh, I get to kind of escape from real world things and kind of just invent my own. That's amazing. That <laughs> That's amazing. What a story. Oh, what a trajectory fuck. you've got. <laughs> right. That's, That's amazing. Awesome. Did you did you ever have an interest in writing before or did it just like because you know all this seems like it fell on your lap and it's like, "Oh, writing. Okay." But like before yeah. that were you like I can write. So, do, you know who, do you know who uh, Dave Barry is? Dave Barry. He is a humor columnist. Um, okay. He's out of the Miami Herald, maybe. Um, but he wrote a book called Big Trouble that was turned into a movie with Tim Allen and Rene Russo back in, I don't know, it was probably 20 years, years ago. So he used to have a syndicated humor column in my local paper. And I used to read it and think like, this, like, this is this guy's job. He just writes humor columns. And I loved doing stand-up at the time, but again, like I didn't want to just keep telling the same five jokes. I wanted to write something new. So I kind of gravitated toward writing humor column. But to answer your question, when I was about nine or 10 years old, I back, this is back in the day, I'm 45 years old. So this is a long time ago. There wasn't a Comedy Central. There wasn't Netflix, nothing like that. So if you wanted to see live stand-up, it was either on the Tonight Show or HBO had these HBO comedy hours. And I remember Howie Mandel had this special called Fits Like a Glove, where he puts the glove on his head and, you know, Bobby's World. I don't know if you remember that, if you're old enough. Bobby's World. (laughs) So he was, you know, he had the stand-up act and it was so raunchy and dirty. And I remember watching this at about nine or 10 years old. My brother and I would just stay up after my parents would, because it was on HBO. And I, I, I just couldn't believe that this was what this guy did. Like, this was his job. I thought he was just up there telling jokes. No idea it was an act. No clue he, this was written. And he's probably tried it a million times before he got on TV. And so I memorized <laughs> I memorized that act. And I would just go around telling my friends, because I went to private school, so it was like mm-hmm. new to them. And uh, um, that was like kind of where I started to fall in love with stand-up. Well, when I started kind of doing it and writing my own jokes, they weren't, you know, they weren't great. And then I just get tired of writing the same jokes. And then Dave Barry, I started reading Dave Barry and I'm like, this guy just writes a humor column every week. Like, this is like literally every, this is what I would love to do. Just write a different, tell a different funny story every week. So I started writing humor columns for like web scenes and all that. And then I don't, I still don't know what made me want to write a novel other than I just, you know, read books. And it's just one of those professions like, God, it's just, you know, people look up to and not that I feel like I needed that reverence or anything but i just that's something i love doing i just love doing it i love coming up with the idea i love writing it i love getting to that point where a first draft is done and then i love seeing it come to life amazing wow you know while i was reading vampires i was like i just a general thought of like man i'm gonna talk to someone who put a book together that's really cool (laughs) like that's that's such a like labor of love and just like like what is the process of writing a book like I'm trying to write a play and I'm like I don't know what to do. Oh, you are. Uh, yes. uh, this is hard. <laughs> I'm also I'm also gonna write. Um, I'm in the process of writing a TV pilot. Are you really? <laughs> yes, with a buddy of mine. So awesome. we'll we'll have to like pick your brain. Yeah. Um, I guess yeah. in like the context of this interview, we'll ask questions about that. <laughs> um, <laughs> So speaking of vampires, and that's Vampires of Portlandia. That's your uh, one of your recent books, Jason, um, and that kind of addresses a lot of um, what it means to be a Filipino in America. Um, and you also give the reader uh, an introduction into uh, Filipino mythology. Um, we get to learn about the different kinds of Aswangs, which I felt was really cool because yes. um, it got when I was reading your book. I was like, okay, well, what is this? This monster is such and such, Mananangal um, or whatever it is. I can't remember if that's the right way to say it, but I had to Google it. I'm like, oh, wow, I've actually learned about this monster before, but I didn't know um, what the name was. So it was really cool getting to like Google all of these things from the book. To, and it like really encouraged me to learn more about um, kind of all of this, all of these things that exist in Filipino culture. So 
I wanna I wanna know from you, Jason, if there's any other unique experiences that you've had as an author and as a Filipino in America. Yeah, so so talking about vampires. So all the other books I've written always had either faceless characters or they're just white because Mm -hmm. I grew up in a white, really white culture. I I went to a private school. I was one of the only minorities there um, from grade school to high school, even to a private college. So minorities were really around. And I didn't know, I didn't even heard of Aswang until my wife and I were watching Grimm, the show Grimm, which was based in Portland. And this was before we even moved to Portland. We just moved to Portland in 2018. So we were still living in Illinois. You know, I knew Portland. When you think of, have you guys been to Portland? I've not. No, but I wanted to, I've been wanting to go. No, it's on a a bucket list for sure. Yeah. When you, when, when you, when people think about Portland, they think of two things. They think Portland, kind of that goofy, weird stuff, or they think the riots, they think like, holy shit. You know, like, you know, they see these just horrible video of downtown. And so I knew nothing about Portland other than it was kind of our, on our bucket list to go on vacation Mm -hmm. as well. Well, we were watching Grimm in Illinois and Sergeant Wu, played by Reggie Lee, who's Filipino, uh, saw an Aswan. And I remember going, we were watching it going, what the hell is an Aswan? I never even heard of this. You know, and I'm Filipino for all intents and purposes. I'm Filipino, right? Mm-hmm. And so my wife's like, call your dad. So I called my dad and I said, hey, what's an Aswan? He's like, yeah, it's just a story your grandma tells, you know, tells us the scares and it's nothing, mm-hmm. right? So I'm like, I got to Google this, you know, probably similar to you. I just want to see what this is about. And so when we moved to Portland in 2018 in the fall, one of the things, and it's really fascinating just because we're kind of in a valley right by a river source and by mountains, by a lot of forests, uh, crows roost here, like thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of crows. And there's, a, there's a, if you're ever born, just Google Portland crows. And so f- around the winter time for them to keep warm and safe and kind of, they, I'm not even joking. There's probably 20,000 crows downtown and it is like a fricking uh, Alfred Hitchcock movie. And I used to work downtown and um, I'd go into work about six thirty or seven and, you know, get on the train by five o'clock or five thirty or whatever. And it's dark and I'm just walking downtown and you see these crows everywhere and it's just very ominous. And then sometimes their shadows will appear on the buildings and then like a car will turn just right. And that shadow will morph into something and your eyes start playing these weird tricks on you. And then the story just started to come in together. Like, what if these were Oswans? What if they're were beasts? And so I just started thinking of this, uh, uh, this kind of story as I'm walking around downtown. Well, there's a lot of like rickshaw couriers um, for food places around and these just young 20 something year old kids like pedaling this big ass rickshaw up the hill, three wheel rickshaw with a big cab on the back with a bunch of food. And that kind of became the main Percival. Like how is Percival gonna maneuver through downtown and see all these crows and start really getting a feel for all this. And I, so the theme kind of became, you know, Portland is this, this weird, interesting city, but kind of an immigrant family coming to the States to adjust. And so that was kind of the two themes and, and that's what happened. But to go back to Reggie Lee was, you know, I did this interview with Esquire Philippines and a guy who interviewed me for Positively Filipino, he friend requested me just on Facebook so he could tag me. And uh, out of nowhere, I get this friend request from this guy, um, Filipino guy, older guy. And I just, you know, the first thing you do is check mutual friends, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh, he's friends with this, this journalist, journalist that, I kind of, that interviewed me. I know nothing else. And so I just accepted whatever. Well, when you accept a friend, a new person on Facebook, like all of a sudden you see their shit, right? Their stories yeah. just come up first thing. All of a sudden I see a story that he, he had posted the Esquire um, article and in the top in in the little text thing he says reggie lee look what you did and i still didn't know i knew sergeant Wu, but i didn't know his name as reggie uh-huh. lee right so i'm like who's reggie lee well he doesn't have his picture as his avatar it's just, you know something very secretive and they're going back and forth and and reggie's like oh my god this is great i need to contact him or whatever and and so i start looking into the guy who friend requested me it turns out he was like uh 
and it, he's like a producer in California. He was a big part of the Filipino um, Chamber of Commerce down there. And so I'm like, oh, who's Reggie Lee? I'm like, holy crap, it's Sergeant Wu. And wow, so, that's yeah, so full then circle. Right, yeah. exactly. And so when you say like cool things that happen, like this would never have happened. So it, it kind of became one of those how it started, how, how it go, how is it going memes. <laughs> yeah. And so <laughs> yeah. I just sent him a copy of the book, <laughs> signed book. And it's just literally full circle. Like it started because I saw the episode where he was seeing an Aswan and now he's reading it. And then he got me on Twitter and messaged me and he was like, yeah, I told the Grim creators about it. I'm like, what? Like, this is so stupid. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it's one of those things that, like, I literally just started working downtown, saw these crows, saw a kid riding a rickshaw, just started writing it. No intent other than just to get it published. And then here it is, like, Reggie Lee's reading it. <laughs> Dude, that's amazing. That's so cool. That is cool. Um, we're going to take a quick break, but don't worry. Jason will be back for more. So sit tight. harmonize nor sing like how crystal and dustin do but we try i'm greg i'm mccoy i'm d and we're Gantad. we're three gay films discussing topics from culture to lgbtq identity politics current events we're just trying to make sense of anything and everything in the world today like did my mom just like an all lives matter post on facebook or how do i tell tita baby stop calling me tabachoy or kinks and heartbreaks so like a typical tuesday for you no no every first and third wednesday awkward all right find us wherever you listen to your podcast all right we're back we're back Uh, we back okay jason let's talk about some highlights in your career has there been any moment in your career that's been particularly memorable in a good way? Or is there any specific moment in your journey that you hold close to your heart? Yeah, I mean, uh, aside from the Rage Lee incident, you know, when I was uh, interviewing um, for, for Yahoo and, and my own online, uh, just being able to cover President Obama was probably the wow. biggest thing I'd ever even imagined. And he... You know, where I came from, the border of Iowa and Illinois, I grew up on the Iowa side, but moved over to the Illinois side. But and my family still lives in Iowa, but I was a big swing state for the presidential candidates. Right. So mm-hmm. every election, they would come multiple times. Well, when he was elected, he came back to push a manufacturing bill. And it was one of those things where the paper was like, oh, President Obama's coming. You know, these roads are going to be blocked off, blah, 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 whatever. And just out of pure like. You know, let me just see if I can cover it. And I just emailed the White House press, you know, office and put my uh, credentials in. And then, like, next thing you know, they're like, you're in. Um, here's the agenda. Be here at this time. Secret Service will vet you. And I remember uh, it's funny because I was working for the federal government for Army back then. And I left. I'm like, I got to go cover this guy. <laughs> I'll be right back. I'll be right back. <laughs> back, guys. Uh, I got to do this little thing with yeah. Obama. He's I don't like know if you've heard of him. He's like our big boss, right? So, uh, <laughs> so I got, you know, I got my camera and uh, my my recorder and then drove probably about the five miles. But it was it was really weird because um, he didn't like it was like the, the agenda was down to the minute. Air Force One's going to land here. You know, the motorcade is going to cross this bridge at this time. Um, you know, th- he's going to come in this time. Median people need to be here at this time. And I had to be there like almost three and a half hours prior just so they can get us through Secret Service. And I'm like, I better go to the bathroom before, right? So on the way there, there was a Hardee's. On, so the where he was talking, um, it was this big steel or manufacturing plant, Alcoa. You heard of Alcoa? Mm-mm. Um, so it's like the big uh, aluminum kind of factory or whatever. So he was talking there. Well, it's a big industrial place. So you, you, know, you know how industrial places are. You kind of got to drive somewhere. So I'm driving down this long stretch and you can see all, 
all the people out there with their lawn chairs and their flags and, you know, cameras, just, they just want us to get a glimpse of the motorcade. And I'm like, I better go to the bathroom. So there's a Hardee's that was just kind of a block away from, uh, the venue, not the, venue the, the manufacturing plant. And I stopped in there to use the, the bathroom and you could see like secret service sitting there. Like one secret service was fake reading the newspaper. And it was just like this, just big <laughs> deal. Right. I mean, it was just big. And all they wanted to do was just cover the president at the time. I mean, it was just such a big deal. And then going through the bomb sniffing dogs, the, you know, everything vetted, it was just so surreal. And then when you get there and you're kind of, you know, I got my little badge, uh, this says White House Press Pool, and I have like four eight by tens that I kind of put in this neat little frame, and you know, and that was like the biggest, most biggest deal I've ever been through. Like, you know, interviewing Billy Corgan, Pete Rose, Dane Cook, you know, all these <sighs> big people. Like, nothing compares to just this moment of, you know, being there watching this this take place, and it was just so amazing. And I remember going home, and I had recorded it. And just playing it like for my wife, you know, and it was just one of those magical moments, you know, and then, and then of course he leaves and, you know, this hot mess comes. I feel like it was just very diminished, you know, the yeah. office was just diminished. And, and so I really cherished that and, and just lo- that experience alone was just something I'll never forget. Wow. <laughs> in, in these like, like defining moments in your life, such quick turns of like, okay, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. At any point as you're making these turns and shifts and pivots, were you ever like, "Mm, I don't know. I don't know. I'm just not going to maybe do this. Or like, did you have any doubts at all for all these moves that you you've you've made throughout your life? And and not to sound so cliche, but it all just feels so full of fate. <laughs> well, you know, it's funny because my wife and I are big proponents of the universe. You know, do good things and the universe will pay you back. And we're not very religious or anything. You know, I I I've always just believed that if you present yourself and put yourself in these opportunities, you know, then they'll come. And there's a lot of these little quotes, you know, I don't want to just throw around, but, uh, you know, one is, um, you know, failure is not the opposite of success. It's a part of it. Mm -hmm. So I've always known that, you know, I have two degrees now. I have, you know, wealth of work experience. I feel like I'm pretty resourceful that if the shit hit the fan tomorrow, we'd be able to recover. And, you know, one of my favorite quotes, one of my favorite albums of all time is the Globe Sessions by Cheryl Crow. And there's a song uh, called Maybe It's Something. And one of the lines is uh, making miracles. It's hard work. Most people give up before they happen. Mm-hmm. And I've just never wanted to be that. Like, if I honestly thought I could do it, I was just going to do it. You know, what's the worst I'm going to tell you is no. You know, like I had zero ambition or not ambition, zero. Like uh, I had no, I can't even think of the word, but like when I, emailed that White House press office, I was expecting nothing. I, yeah. I was expecting either a no response or a sorry, thank you for your time, whatever. I was never expecting to, you're in. <laughs> it was like, what? You know, like when I interviewed Pete Rose, um, I was actually in Boston for work and it was one of the, it was back in 2013-ish, I think. And it was a nor'easter. It was around the same time. And it was like three feet of snow. And I was like locked in this hotel, nothing to do. And a Yahoo assignment came up because Pete Rose, who is the, you know, all time hit leader in baseball, you know, controversial, not going to get in the Hall of Fame, had a stupid ass reality show on TV. And Yahoo TV is like, do you want to cover this? I'm like, if I can interview Pete Rose, although I'm not watching this garbage. Right. Um, and so I interviewed Pete Rose and I called him and he was at a baseball card shop, just like signing baseball cards at this. And like the manager of the shop answered. I don't remember what it was called. I'm like, I'm, I have an interview with Pete Rose. He's like, hang on. He got on. And I'm like, this is so weird, but it was just one of those things like, okay, what's the worst that's going to happen? No, you know, yeah. he's going to be a douche or, you know what? I mean, I, I've never been, that person though, I like, I guess I'd rather try and fail miserably than and not even try because you can always recover from anything. I mean, you can recover from anything. 
Who cares, That's right? True. Man. Yes. He shot his shot. And he got his shots. <laughs> he got his shots, y'all. The answer will always be no unless you try, everyone. So just do it. Just go for it. Absolutely. You know, I write I write a book. So oh so this new book, just for context, is I pitched this book. I started pitching in December of 2018. I hadn't even written Vampires of Portland. It wasn't even a thought yet. And 69 publishers said no for whatever reason. The 70th one, like legit about a month ago, said yes. Is that a bad percentage? It's awful. Mm -hmm. But you know what? It's going to happen. And none of that even matters anymore. Yeah. You only need the one yes. Yes. You just need one yes. Let the the listeners know what book that is that we should be looking out for. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, that one is tentatively called American as Egg Rolls and Rice. Um, It's essentially based on my time as a Filipino folk dancer. I used to dance uh, like planting rice and coconuts as a kid mm-hmm. in my hometown uh, as part of the Filipino. At the time, it was just a Filipino association. So when I was a kid, it was very rare back in the 80s that a Filipino person was marrying someone not Filipino. Mm-hmm. And if they did, it was so weird, like that's so weird. And now, generations later, um, I've gone to a couple of Filipino picnics back when I'm at home. And it, you're very it's very difficult to find a younger just Filipino couple, mm-hmm. you know, it's, mm-hmm. they're, you know, they're all dating, you know, someone else, you know, I can't talk and my wife is white. Um, but now it's the Filipino American picnic or, you know, association. And it's, it's just, it's just a different dynamic. And I don't even know if they dance anymore. I can't, I, I don't even know, but it was a big part of my life. And that's, that's what the book is about. So we we heard a little bit about the inception of Vampires of Portlandia. Can you tell us a little bit more about like the process of learning more about, you know, Aswangs and like all the different folklore that you've you've insert or you've included in the story? Sure. So, you know, like someone who's just discovering something new, I started kind of digesting a lot of documentary type stuff and just articles about different Aswang. And what I found out was I feel like there's a lot of unclarity. I mean, it's not a lot of concrete things other than the basics, you know, physical traits and kind of uh, how it sort of began with Tenny Antigimo and Maria Labo. And, and uh, so what I wanted to do was my main goal for writing this book and kind of future books was to kind of open up Filipino culture to the mainstream media. Because when I was growing up, there weren't a lot of characters that looked like me, um, whether I didn't find those books or they just weren't readily available. And just recently with this big thing in publishing with, you know, very predominantly white, um, you know, I didn't want to be part of that problem where if it's something I can do, you know, I, I'm in a position where, you know, if it gets published, it does. If it doesn't, it doesn't. You know, all we can do is try it and do better. And so when I wrote it, there's so much stories about Aswan. There's so many things for me to introduce Filipino folklore, Aswan. I had to really do it at a service level and kind of just here it is. And this is how I can get them. If you think about like X-Men movies, it's kind of like an X-Men or an X-Men movie where all of them are there, the Avengers or whatever. You know, you don't really see those origin stories till later. You know, you never start with an origin story because they're boring. You know, that's why they always come out later. You know, no one. I mean, I guess some people want to know about the, the history of them. But for me to really just introduce all of it as a whole, I wrote it in this just kind of story about an uh, immigrant kid who has to take care of his family. So that was like like my main goal and but for me to kind of fit the narrative that I was trying to create what well, I had to kind of make them personable people you know like not monsters and there's there's like anyone the kind of the the little uh theme is is that you know yeah they're they're awesome but they're they're different they're just different people yeah. trying to fit in um so that was kind of the whole reason why I went that route i just created my own lore and honestly if 
someone down the line wants to create different variations, that's what I would love to see. You see all these different variations of vampires and, you know, other ghosts or whatever, you know, as long as we're talking about Filipino culture, as long as we're getting more people involved and, and, and into you know, what I would like to try to do is just open it up and get people interested, then who cares what they do, right? Why do we have to stick to, you know, exactly what history tells you? I mean, lore is lore for a reason. Sometimes it's ridiculous. Let's just make it up. Who cares? <laughs> it was such a fun adventure or, or being on this adventure with Percival. And, and I don't want to give anything away, y'all. So y'all need to read it. Because I feel like if I start talking about it too much, I'm going to just ramble and continue with the story and give away too much. No spoilers. Um, <laughs> By no the book, spoilers. no spoilers. <laughs> but it's, y'all, it's, it's such a fun read. Um, how important was it for you to include the landscape of Portland and like um, even like the unhoused community um, into the narrative as well? You know, I I love Portland as what it is. It's just a weird city. I mean, there really is a submarine in the middle of the river down there. Um, there really is an air tram. Um, you know, there's everything in there. There's really a, a big statue called Portlandia that is the second largest copper statue behind the Statue of Liberty in the middle of downtown on top of a building. This is all true. So one of the goals when I was walking around downtown, it was more of a, oh, this would be a cool like book, but at the same time, kind of like a tourist um, aid of things to do in Portland. Because when, when we first moved here, it was easy to just, what can I look at downtown or what, you know, where can we go? And it was just one of those things that I wanted to just bring kind of that excitement and joy that I experienced to, you know, to people who've never been here or, you know, if you've got like 24 hours and you end up at PDX for some reason, your flight's canceled and you can come down to the downtown and see some things. I want to, you know, use it as a guide to like, oh, the Portland signs I know is right here. I know Voodoo Donuts is here. I know the key Portland weird signs here. And, you know, it's just kind of that little, um, it also kept, it also kind of kept me um, in that frame of downtown. Like anytime I try to verge out of downtown, I'm like, no, you know, downtown is where it is because I love Portland downtown. And what you see on TV with that riots, that is that doesn't represent what it is. And it's it's a shame that that happens. But it's just I don't know. I can't even explain it. Like, I just love being downtown. (laughs) Yeah, you really you really brought us into this magical world. Like I could feel the magic and this vibe of vibe of Portland and. Yeah, just very exciting to to be in that space with you and your characters in the book. Hi, I'm Jason Tannemore, and I'm on the Me Search podcast, and I'm the author of Vampires of Portlandia. It's about Filipino folklore Aswang, and you can find it on Tannemore.com. Imagine that you're standing in front of your childhood self. Let's take this opportunity to reflect on all of what you've learned over time and what it means to be a trailblazer in the literary world. What words of encouragement or practical advice would you give to your younger self? So, well, I appreciate the nod trailblazer. I I don't really consider myself that way, but um, so one of the things I didn't really know or understand growing up or growing into this business I just thought like anyone, like stand up, like music, musicians, actors, I just thought like everybody's well off. They're all driving Bentleys. They all live in these big mansions or whatever. And when I started meeting authors specifically, I'm like, oh, wait, you got a, you got like two other jobs, you know, or you have a real job. And, and even like ones that are really successful. I mean, some that are, are pretty well known are uh, professors or they work just regular jobs so I didn't realize that I didn't understand that and I thought like when I first started was I had to find a niche I had to find my window in and I had to figure out a way how to stay there and so the first couple books were kind of like psychological uh, thriller type books and I really enjoy that stuff but I enjoy writing a lot of different things it's just things that interest me and so if I had to do it all over again, and I would tell anyone this is 
you know, don't worry or think about like where you're, you're trying to steer your career. Your career is going to go wherever it is. It's really not up to you. All you can do is keep plugging along and doing things, you know, morally and, and things that you think are the best interest. So I write in different genres all the time. I have a full-time job that pays really well. So I never in my wildest dreams thought I, I can do this for, um, if I want to live the life I want to live, I can't do this full-time. So knowing that and not having that stress or that big cloud above me, I really can just focus on writing anything. And, you know, I have friends that are like, I can see them on Twitter. They'll be like, uh, I'll critique your manuscript, you know, $50 Venmo me, you know, and I'm like, I'm glad I'm not in that position. I'm glad that I don't need to write for two years and I'm fine. Um, you know, I just do it to do it. I enjoy doing it. So any message, write what you want, you know, practice your craft and, and you make it so it's fun. I mean, don't make it as a job because once that happens, then, you know, anytime you have to treat it as a job and you're going to lose interest. Wise words. How can the folks at home learn more about vampires and your other publications? So, you know, every my landing page is just tanamore.com. Um, I kind of update it sporadically, but all the interviews I do um, are posted there. All the books are there. Um, you know, I'm very, I'm very, if you want to shoot me an email, I will respond to anything. You know, I've never want to be that person who, unless I just don't get it for whatever reason, but I check my email religiously because I just work regularly. So, um, but tanamore.com, it's really uh, simple. And uh, you can find anything you want there. Awesome. Check it out, y'all. Check it out. Is there yeah. any work that you're excited about uh, sharing with the world, whether it be anything that you're working on or any uh, authors that you're a fan of? Um, you know, that's funny because I finished the first draft of the new, new book. Um, it's called, uh, well, in my head, it's called The Legend of Sensei Chinella. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know if your dad was the same, but like... <laughs> Um, you know, as kids, I thought we invented the matrix. And like, as soon as my dad reached for that slipper, you know, we were floating in air, we were bending, you know, and, you know, really just breaking that time continuum to avoid that slipper. And so I thought it would be funny to kind of just write about this superhero who, um, without giving too much away, because it could even possibly change, but basically it's a, a superhero who goes into high after a botched rescue and uh, kind of a loser teenager who is trying to gain cool points at school uh, kind of undiscovers him. And now he wants to kind of bring him to the forefront, really just to gain cool points. But he justifies his action by helping this superhero out and they kind of form a relationship. And it's just a silly comedy type thing. It made me giggle the whole time writing it. But, you know, hopefully I can get a couple more drafts in by the end of the year and and see what happens. Love it. We'll have to keep an eye out for that one too. It sounds fun. Yeah. All right. So Jason, final question for you. What's put a smile on your face recently? So, <laughs> so I normally don't laugh at like memes or viral things, but the cat lawyer thing just made me giggle. I, I still can't even, you know what I'm talking about, right? Cat lawyer? Cat lawyer? Are you kidding oh, me? Oh, yes. Oh my gosh. That is. You, oh. you know what, right? No, I don't know what you're talking about. Oh, my God. Okay, so Google cat lawyer video. Okay. And it is a legit video. I'll just set it up for you. I won't tell you what happens because you got to watch it. It's all its glory. Uh, Oh, my God. I've seen this. Right. (laughs) So, but what what made it, what made it funny was the fact that he had to say, I'm not a cat. Yeah. I just just (laughs) couldn't. (laughs) And that that's one of those things I never really like, you know, to, if, if you have a bad day or if I have a bad minute, I just watch that 45 seconds or whatever. And I just, and that just makes me smile. <laughs> and I can't not. <laughs> it's so stupid. <laughs> we'll have to share, we'll have to share that meme on, uh, on our social medias. <laughs> yes. yes. That was a good one. I for, can't believe I forgot about that. Oh I was laughing about God. that for a good 10 minutes. I'm not a cat. <laughs> As you can see, I'm not a cat. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, man. Well, 
Wonderful, wonderful having you with us, Jason. This was such a wonderful conversation. And seriously, please come back and chat with us again. Uh, we'd love to have you. Um, and yeah, y'all, this is Jason Tannemore. Yay! Jason Tannemore, everyone. This man took us on a wild journey. And let me tell y'all, he took me on so many left turns. My jaw was on the floor every five minutes. Um, and I kind of regretted in that moment that we don't actually post the videos to this inter <laughs> to these interviews because literally my face was just like that. And he was an absolutely phenomenal guest to have on the show. And he was an amazing storyteller. So Nino, I want to know from you, what was the first thing that you took away from having listened to this episode? Right off the bat, he already had mentioned it. Um, 2020 was a really crazy year for all of us. Um, I even mentioned it in my episode, you know, 2020 was hard. But it was so nice to hear that despite of all the darkness in 2020, he still had an amazing year and he was celebrating it. He chose to celebrate it. And I think that's so cool because I, I also, you know, as crazy of a year it was, I had such a great year um, career-wise. And I was so excited about it, but I also felt really weird sharing it. But then, you know, hearing him be excited for it and hearing him want to speak about his wins, it's inspiring. So now that kind of inspired me to, you know, to realize like even in darkness and even in, you know, really rough situations, if you could share some sort of light, do it because other people might be inspired by it. And I was definitely inspired just from the get, right from the start when he started speaking about that. So that was one of the first takeaways I got. And that's right off the top of the episode. Yeah, I, I, I agree. It was really nice to hear him talk about all of his little wins that he had, even in such a bad year. What I took from that moment in the beginning um, of our conversation was, you know, it is important to celebrate those little wins. And it's also important to not dull your shine. Yes. It's important to be sensitive to other people's feelings. But also, like, if you're happy and you want to celebrate something, you know, a lot of people get joy or feel joy when they see their loved ones winning in life. Whenever I see Crystal win, wherever, whenever I see you, Nino, win, mm -hmm. like I, I experience joy within myself. So even though these past couple years have been not great at all in many ways, um, those, those little happy moments I really cherish. Definitely. And I think we should continue to show that because, like I said, if you, you know, in dark times, if somebody shines a light, uh, you know, there it is. So, you know, it, it makes people happy after all the craziness that we've we've endured. So I'm definitely going to take that away and, and know to celebrate my wins when I want to and when I need to. Not just for myself, but for other people as well, too. Heck yes. Yeah, let's do it. Do things. Do things. <laughs> and for me, one of my biggest takeaways um, like I alluded to before, it's that the word journey is a complete understatement when it comes to talking about all of what he's accomplished in his professional career. Mm -hmm. Because he started out doing the quote unquote safe thing by studying finance and accounting and going to school, getting a degree. He even did the safe kind of standard office job that one might do for a little bit before branching out and expanding out his areas of interest. And it was really cool to see that he explored stand-up comedy. And that really took me by surprise because I'd like to think that in alternate universe that I'm a stand-up comedian. Wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> I think it's just I find I find it so interesting and fun to be able to tell a story and make somebody laugh. And I think it it is like a really it's a difficult art. It is. To structure your sentences and to deliver it in such a way where it's like you're you're waiting in the right places, you're mm -hmm. having you have the right beats and also, you know, the punchline is like, "Oh, you didn't see that coming." Yeah. It's, it's the anticipation waiting for what the crowd's going to say and the reaction is is definitely hard. So, But you know what? You are funny. I said go for it. Hey! I told you, know you, you know, why not? We could do it. We could do anything we want to. Even if we're like, you know, 
like how many years into our career. I think we could definitely switch it up sometimes. Yeah. And we're like manifesting in 2021. Yes, know? exactly. We're manifesting stuff. Never say you can't. You got to try first. Then you're, you know, then you'll figure it out from there. True life. True life, y'all. True life. Trying's free. Let's go. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's so true. Trying is free. Yeah. I'm gonna put that on a t-shirt. Okay, can I get 10%? Oh, 10%? Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, cool. Sure, sure, sure. <laughs> I want to get your thoughts on the fact that he kind of took a lot of risks by career hopping. Um, in the end, he made it work, but that's that's really scary for a lot of folks. So do, do you have any um, feedback on that? Yeah, mid-career changes are not a bad thing. They're not a bad thing, and he is a testament to that, 100%. You know, um, when you kind of see, like, a safe career trajectory, right, Um, you go from point A to point B, you know, to point C until you retire, you get promoted here and there or whatnot. Um, And that's kind of, like, you only think that's all you could do. And I kind of mentioned it just a couple of, um, you know, just a couple of minutes ago. But honestly, if you really push yourself to do different things, um, even – it could be within the same realm of what you're doing, him being a journalist, you know, working his way from finance to being a comedian, to being a journalist, to being a writer. It, it all kind of encompasses the same thing, but it's different ways that he was able to um, work through them. And, and, and I don't think it's I don't think it's bad for you to want to switch things up, you know, if, if you can and if you're able to um, these little not little these big jumps in your career could bring you to whole new levels and whole new heights that you've never thought you've ever been able to reach. I think that's mm-hmm. the cool thing. You challenge yourself one time and you'll, you're surprised yourself the next. You know, sometimes in our careers, we hit glass ceilings and we think, oh, this is it. It's just going to float the rest of the way until I retire or whatnot. But when you kind of, when you decide and you want to make that change and you leap somewhere else, you'll be so surprised. You're like, I didn't know I could do that. You know, I didn't know that I could move my career that way or, 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 or ever do this in my life. You, you know, it, why not? Just do it. Like I said, trying is free. And he, he tried it and it was so good for him. Look what happened. So true. There was one of the stories that Jason was telling us about, um, kind of just outreaching to people to see if they would even say yes to an interview. He he said very specifically, you know, I didn't go into these things like with any expectations, but the worst that they're going to say is no. And honestly, you can recover from anything is what he said. And that really stuck to stuck out to me. Um, I think you put it very well. You know, trying is free. And at the end of the day, you're not going to know if you're going to be successful and take until you take that risk. Right. And if you're not successful, you've learned something. Exactly. And the thing is, you have a career behind you. You had something you started for, you went to school for, you've built for yourself. So it's one of those things where it's just like, you know, why not try it and see what happens? You still have something to fall back on. So your risks are actually a lot smaller than you think. That's true. And one thing that one thing that we have touched on in previous episodes is, you know, whether or not to lean into a particular career because it's your passion or like versus you know doing something safe Mm -hmm. and i think jason kind of did something in the middle where yes he did pursue something initially that was safe and then he he really had confidence in himself to say okay i have all of the knowledge and the skills to get back into a field that is safe but for now i'm gonna explore something that is a little bit more risky. And if it doesn't work out, I have something to fall back on. So I think that's that's a perspective that is mm-hmm. that we haven't really highlighted too much on this show. But I think it's a really interesting and important perspective to share. Definitely. And the the thing is too, like uh he I don't think we ever talk about kind of staying in your lane, but mm-hmm. you know, venturing out in d- different parts of it. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't think a lot of people talk about that because there are a lot of things that you could do that that might still be somewhere uh, where you're you're comfortable in going with, um, but you haven't explored that part yet. You know, uh, and like we said, it really just is a trying type situation or really exploring yourself. Because I think sometimes when we're tired of the the monotony of the day to day life of everything that we're doing, we want to get re inspired. And sometimes that type that time when we get re inspired is a spark of joy to to find something else. But then a lot of the times we're scared to actually chase after that joy, so we kind of yeah. just pull back. You know, in, in Jason's situation, he went for it, and I think that's a good example of not having to deal with the what ifs. 
Yeah. He really, he really went for it and he, he chose to, um, make it happen for himself. And I think everyone could do that, mm-hmm. you know, and if it's okay within their, their limits and their realm of finance and things like that, because obviously we all have to, you know, live to, you know, work to live and things like that. Yeah. But if you're able to go for it, I don't see why anything could stop you if everything seems to be okay and you're able to do so. Absolutely. So now I want to put on my Crystal Tugati lens because um, it would not be me search without a little bit of Tugati insight. So I think if Crystal were here today and discussing Mm -hmm. this with us, I think she would point out the fact that Jason had a strong inclination to be creative. He was a storyteller when he was in high school with his friends, when he was telling jokes, even when he was doing his regular schmegular career, he was, he wanted to be writing. Um, and he didn't have a specific type of genre or type of format that he wanted to to do. He wanted to do all types of writing. And I think she would say good for him because he leaned into that really heavily once he realized that he um, had a backup career. And it really worked out for him. And I think Crystal would would say that his presence in the literary world is much bigger than he gave himself credit for. Because when we when we were um, interviewing him in those final questions, I referred to him as a trailblazer in the literary world, and he was really humble about it. Um, he was was humble about accepting that as a compliment. But I think Crystal would agree, um, and I I think it's so true because a lot of his work now is in the mainstream and puts puts Filipino folklore into the hands of people who might not have had an opportunity to explore that. And the heart of Vampires of Portlandia is a story of immigrants in the U.S. And so many folks, not even Filipinos, would be able to relate with that. And now so many more different folks, Filipinos, immigrants, and so forth, will be able to see themselves represented in really cool fantastical stories we love humble and we love representation yes we do (laughs) so it's about that time nino do you have any more final thoughts yes you know when listening to the episode with jason i it really stood out to me that success you know is very subjective Mm -hmm. uh because like i said earlier we may think that we're at a career peak in our lives um and there's a small urge to change and do something that could actually lead us to new heights. And that's exactly what happened with Jason. And he thought he was successful doing what he was doing already in many points in his career. Mm-hmm. When you think about it, like, he, you know, he was writing for Yahoo. He was doing all these things as a journalist. You know, and me as an entertainment journalist, that, that's huge seeing his resume, you know, right there and then. But him thinking, I want to do, you know, I want to write this novel. I want to do this. I want to, um, you know, write about X, Y, Z. Like that just, that's so awesome to think that, you know, that once you put your mind into something new, even if you've had a success before, there could be a whole nother realm you've never touched and you're just going to unlock it and even surprise yourself, you know? So like, I think, yes, success is subjective because even if you think you've already made it, there might be something else you could be successful with. Mm -hmm. And I think that's how people become, you know, these trailblazers or whatnot. There's, they have multiple streams of not just revenue, but just thought processes as well, too, because, mm-hmm. you know, they say, I, I'm good at this, but I think I can be good at this as well, too. And they try it and they give it and they give it a go. And from what we saw, what we heard, I mean, what we heard with Jason, you know, it's it's possible. And I think that inspires me to dig deeper into what I love to do, um, which I'm currently doing now. I'm doing something with you, and I'm excited about. Yes, you we mentioned, are. You know, you mentioned something about a little TV pilot, uh, but you know, we're, we're working on things. The thing is, you, you, you know, you have a doctorate of education. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I, I have a uh, master's in uh, digital audience strategy, and we're working, you know, within that same kind of realm, but in a whole other avenue because we're, we're writing something that's uh, that's totally that's totally different. Um, but we're yeah. trying, you know, we're trying because trying is free and we're doing trying things. Trying is free. Um, but yeah, that inspires me to keep on going, keep on pushing because um, I feel like we both have had su- success in our um, current careers and things that we're doing. Mm-hmm. You know, we were, we're on a certain trajectory, but why not play around a little bit? Let's yeah. make a right turn. You know what I mean? Yeah. And see see where that can go. I don't know. And I think to to piggyback off of that, 
yes, we're doing some hella good stuff. Yes. I'm like really excited about that. And um, to tie it back to to the the interview with Jason, I found that in practicing what I find joy in, mm-hmm. the accolades and the success and the achievements just fall into my lap or fall into place in my professional world. It, it breaks up the monotony of things. It it really does. Like, you know, you get excited to do something even after yeah. work hours because it's something you love to do. And then you're recharged to go back to work the next day because you're like, I just had a good time doing what I was just doing. Dude, maybe that's what it is. Y'all, you know, find something that's fun in between your work days, folks. I think that's what it is, you know? Yeah. Exactly. Even if you think like it's a hobby, you know, it could turn into something a whole, I don't know, something totally different. And it could be something, you know, big in the end. Jason did it. We could do it, too. (laughs) We're going to do it, too. This is uh, manifesting 2021, y'all. There you go. I'm all about the manifestation. Heck, yes. And with that, that is all that we have time for. So thank you so much, Nino. This was so much fun to have you with us. Thank you so much for having me, Crystal. Can't wait to hear you back on the pod, but I appreciate you letting me sub in for you. Hope you're having a good vacation. And Dustin, thank you once again. Yay! Yay! Make sure to subscribe to MeSearch wherever you listen to podcasts. Find new episodes on the first and third Wednesday every month. Check us out at mesearchpodcast.com and find us on social media at mesearchpodcast. Mesearch is produced and hosted by Dustin Domingo and Crystal Tagati, editing by Dustin Domingo. Thank you so much to my guest co-host, Nino. Do him a solid and follow him at Nino Lanera. And thank you to featured guest Jason Tannemore. Follow him at Jason Tannemore and pick up his book, Vampires of Portlandia, available now on Amazon. Shout outs to all our friends and family giving this podcast a shot. We'll catch you all at the next episode. We're going to get to the bottom of things. This is me, Surge, folks. Yay! Yay! You did so good, Nino. Hell yeah.